Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. I'm Mike, one of the pastors here, and uh, you got a connection card in your program this morning. If you're new with us, you can fill that out and put in the offering bag as it goes by later. And we just want to get to know you, so you can check, on, check off whatever box you want on there. Also, if Trinity Life is your church, then you can write a prayer request on that card, and you will be prayed for this week by me and or our leadership team, and, um, and so know that. Uh, that that's there for you as well. So yeah, this morning, I love how Melanie started us off with just recognizing that we're in the presence of God. So if you're new to church, that's what the church is. It's, it's the, it, the, the Bible calls it the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the household of God, the family of God. These are all metaphors for the church. And it means that God's presence is here. And, and that's, that may sound a little weird, and maybe it is a little weird. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's a little weird because I, I don't know how to grasp it. I don't know how to quantify it. But um, God's presence is here with us this morning because we are here worshiping the name of Jesus. And that's just a beautiful reality. And then Jamie's like, sing this out. And what I love is Mac and Ruby were up there singing I See Heaven. Uh, that was at their wedding this summer, actually. Uh, and it was really cool to, Ruby, to have you sing it. Uh, because I was just picturing you walking down the aisle, me standing there next to Mac and us, and just seeing the picture, this beautiful picture of the gospel um, all through that song, and just it was displayed uh, in, your, in your wedding. And then you guys just leading the church in that this morning, it was so awesome, just, just really cool. Uh, and, and then what Missy prayed this morning after she read this, this passage that is... That is has a bunch of stuff in it. We'll walk through it. But after she, or, or as she was praying, uh, she prayed exactly the sermon. She doesn't know the sermon. I didn't preach it to her this week. So she, she prayed exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. So last week we talked about the resurrection. We talked about how the resurrection is vital. It's crucial. It's the crux of the Christian faith. Now, often we would say, well, yeah, the cross too, right? We have the cross up here. But without the resurrection, the cross is just another criminal dying on a cross. Okay? Jesus was up there, two criminals next to him. Jesus was branded a criminal. Without the resurrection, Jesus is still dead in the grave, in the tomb. And we don't actually have life. We don't actually have, uh, or we are not actually new creations. We're not actually, we actually have no hope in this world, Paul says. He says, everything you believe is vain, it's empty, if the resurrection isn't actually true. And then he gives proofs for the resurrection. He says, it is true. And let me show you the, the beauty of it. Now, this passage that we're dealing with this morning comes right after He's given these truths and, and these proofs for the resurrection. And, and 
So we talked about life and the resurrection. So now that we know that that's true, now that we, we, we have those proofs that Paul has given us, and you may be saying, well, I don't know that it's true yet, but just go with me on this. Paul has, has shown us this is true. Now, now what do we do with that life? What do we do with that reality? What's the purpose of that life? If that is true, then what's, what's the meaning of it? What's the purpose of it? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So we're going to rethink reality this morning. And here's the bottom line for this morning. I'm going to give this to you up front, just one statement. We're going to walk through the text with this one statement. It's when your natural reality gains death, your spiritual reality gives life. Okay, notice here that... I'm not contrasting, because Paul doesn't contrast this, I'm not contrasting your physical reality with your spiritual reality. You know, when we do that, we often think the, the physical is this, and the spiritual is something we can't really see. It's something abstract. It's not concrete. Paul doesn't contrast the physical and the spiritual. He contrasts the natural and the spiritual. And he says they both have bodies. So they're actually both physical, he says, okay? So that's, that may be, just that truth alone may be a rethinking paradigm shift for you, okay? And, and he's saying that the spiritual is now. We can live in the spiritual now. We're designed to live in the spiritual reality now, okay? Not just out there in some esoteric, ethereal, whatever, state of existence. He says, no, the natural and the, and, and the spiritual can happen now. Now, here it's, it's worded, it's worded um, interestingly, right? When your natural reality gains death. When we think of death, we often don't think of gain. What do we think of? Well, we think of loss, right? Uh, but Paul is shifting how we view death because if the resurrection is true, then Jesus has conquered death. Okay? And we no longer have, it, as we sang earlier, death was arrested. It was bound up. Jesus has defeated it. it he's conquered it. It, has no lo- it no longer has a hold on us. So, and Paul says this, and we'll talk about this later on in the sermon, but in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's, that's a crazy statement. So we're going to walk through the text and, and, and pull that out. So your natural reality gains death, your spiritual reality gains life. Um, we'll take that through the sermon. So let's start in verse 35. And it says here, but someone will ask, remember he just talked about the resurrection, gave proofs for the resurrection, and he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul responds by saying, you idiot, <laughs> he's like, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now that seems pretty, I mean, that, that, uh, that doesn't seem very nice, right? Um, that he would just say, oh, you're, you're a bunch of fools. But those questions aren't just questions. In the Greek, they're phrased as objections, okay? So it's not just someone asking, well, how does this happen, Paul? They're saying, well, if that's true, this can't happen because how would it even happen? And so they're objecting to what Paul's just said. Remember, he's dealing with a whole group of people in Corinth and that don't actually believe this yet. And that may be you this morning. You may say, ah, the resurrection, like I like a lot of things in the Bible. I like, 
I like a lot of the things the Bible says, and, and I like a lot of things about Jesus, but the resurrection, I can't actually, I don't actually believe that. Um, and Paul is dealing with that group this morning. And, and, what, and last week he dealt with that group, and, and, and so he says here, that's the wrong question. You're asking the wrong questions. Basically, we don't know how. What you sow, but he says what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He gives a planting a seed metaphor. And he's like, you, you plant something in the ground, it decomposes or it dies, and it, and it gives life to something else. And he says here in verse 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be. It's a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So he says here that basically you have this bare kernel. There's nothing pretty about it. There's nothing fancy about it. It's this bare kernel that you put in the ground, and then it grows into something magnificent and something beautiful. So let me show you a few pictures, just to give you an, the image of what he's talking about. So this is a rose, this is a rose bush seed on the side here. See that? Nothing beautiful, nothing awesome. And those are rainbow roses. You know, the, <laughs> those are pretty cool, right? The rainbow roses? Those aren't real. Um, <laughs> so they're actually real roses. So rainbow roses are like this big thing in China right now. And... Um, they're white roses that they've grown, and then like, they, cut, they kind of splice the stem, and you put food coloring in it, and it makes certain petals different colors. That's pretty cool. I should like, save that for Valentine's Day or something to give to my wife. No. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I never give you flowers. <laughs> I think flowers are a waste of money. <laughs> so <laughs> um, you get them, and they die. I know I'm bad. And specifically when you give them to Missy, they die, <laughs> and they die quickly, more, probably more quickly, quickly than they should. So that gives you a picture of something you would sow in the ground, and something, and something beautiful comes out of that. Here's, if I had, the next picture is a, a, lemon, a lemon seed and a lemon tree. If I could plant any tree, I would do a lemon tree. They're, they're just awesome. Like, you can go out and just pick lemons from, from a tree, it just... I don't know. I think it's, it's really cool. If you've been in southern Italy, they have them everywhere. And it just, you're just like, this is awesome. Why don't I live here? So at least that's what I say. Uh, lemon seed, there's nothing special about it, right? It's just, you're like, how does that lemon tree come from that tiny little seed that looks, kind of looks like a baby lemon, actually? Um, and you're like, how, does, how do leaves come out of it? How, does, how do branches come out of it? How does a trunk come out of it? How, do, how, do, how does fruit grow out of that? I don't know. Actually, scientists, we don't really know. We just know that it happens. Uh, next one is, this is the last one. So this is a giant sequoia seed. Giant sequoias are the largest tree in the world. That tree right there is the largest tree in the world. It's called the General Sherman. It's in California. And you can see, like, there's guys hanging off the branches. They're climbing this tree. You can see, like, how massive this tree is. That's a famous National Geographic picture from a few decades ago. And look at the, how tiny that seed is. How does that work? That seed goes in the ground, it dies, and it, it raises up something like that, which is just, just amazing. And so Paul says, 
to this person who says, well, how does the resurrection work? How is that possible? What kind of body do you have? What, what's, like, they want to all know the answers to all these questions. He's like, we don't even know how that works. He's like, we have no idea. And, and you're saying, well, yeah, I mean, water, sun, light, soil, nutrients, things like that. Well, sure, that's what happens, but how does that DNA and that seed actually form into a tree with branches and fruit and all that? Who knows? It's, it's actually like a miracle every time. Um, and Paul is saying here, he's giving us this imagery, this imagery of how we plant things in the ground and they grow into something. And he says each, each kind of seed in verse 38 has its own body. And in verse 39 he says, for not all flesh is the same. And now he goes from seeds to us, right? He's making this transition from talking about something agrarian and, and, and uh, something about agriculture. Now he's, now he's bridging it to you and me. And he says, for not all flesh is the same. That's us. But there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun. Another glory of the moon, another glory for the, uh, of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. He says they each have their own glory. Do you know that you are unique? I tell my girls all the time, you're so unique, you're so special. And I try to draw these things out of them. And when I ask them, I was like, when I ask them if they know they're unique and special, you know what their answers are? They say no. And I'm like, I tell you all the time. And, but it's, it's something that we just don't get about ourselves. Like God has created each of us uniquely and specially. Now, there's a large part of our culture that's all about self-promotion. And, you know, we live in a fame culture. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a large part of a culture. You know, actually, there's stats out there. I, I saw a stat recently for the... For most people under 35, most people under 35, what has replaced their desire for sex, for marriage, for family, for success is, guess what? Fame. Everybody wants their 15 seconds of fame. And that has started to usurp any other desire for those under 35. We live in a YouTube culture, Twitter, social media, all that stuff everyone wants, wants to be famous for for a certain amount of time. Um, what is also true about the majority of our culture is that we are a culture that is, at the same time we're self-promoting, we're also self-effacing. We're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm never going to be this. I'm never going to be that. And these cultures actually feed off of one another. They actually, one breeds the other, and they actually work together, and, and they're, they're, it's like a balancing act off of one another. Because the reason we say we're not good enough, uh, enough, 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 enough is because of the fame culture. And you may say, well, I don't want to be famous, but that fame culture is everywhere. It's, it's on the magazines on the shelf, it's on the, it's on the commercials, it's on the billboards, it's... it's in the church, it's out of the church, it's, it's everywhere. And it begins to bring in this self-effacement. And so we have these two things, 
But this scripture passage is saying there's a, that you were created to give glory to God. And how can you give glory and how can you reflect that glory if you yourself are not glorious? And Paul is saying everything here has its own uniqueness and you were created to be unique. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, about a month ago, I have two daughters. I have a seven-year-old Emerson, a six-year-old Reagan. And Reagan, or they did picture day at school. And the next morning, I was getting my girls ready for school, I was brushing their hair, and I was brushing my six-year-old Sarah Reagan. So I'm brushing her hair, and I said, hey, sweetie, I'm so excited to see your pictures from, from school yesterday. And she's like, yeah, and she's like, me too. I tried a new smile. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to love this. Missy's going to hate this. <laughs> She's going to hate those pictures. I'm going to be like, this is so awesome. And I, so I said, uh, you, you tried a new smile. Um, uh, how do you know it's new? She's like, well, I've been practicing it in the mirror. <laughs> and I just melted. I was like, you're so adorable. Some, and, and let me, actually, you're probably wondering right now, let me show you the picture. You're probably wondering what it looks like. So that's her picture from last year, just kind of flat smile, like, I hate this right now. Like, I don't even want to be here. It looks a little like Nacho Libre, if you know that movie. She's, she's it's like, <laughs> and then look at her new smile, right? Look, she's, yeah, she's, like, it's her real smile. Um, some of you guys need a new smile. Some of you guys need to know that you're created to reflect the glory of God. And your natural Libre smile isn't going to do it. You need a new smile. And Paul is saying that each one of us, every body, he says, every body, so it, so he says sun, moon, stars, he goes to do different bodies, but everybody here, we all reflect God's glory in a unique way. And he goes on. And he says here in verse 42, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Those two verses are a tremendous truth. That it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, uh, there is also a spiritual body. And he gives us three things here to think through this. One is what is sown is perishable. That, that word there is what is, uh, it, it's, it's something that's corrupted. It's something that is decaying. It's in a state of decay. It's something that is uh, corroding. It's being eaten away at. And if, 
And if you are just in your natural existence, and when I say natural existence, I mean we're born into this world, and I'm going to talk about this later, that we have the image of the first man, Adam. We're born into this world, but we're born into sin. We're born into a state of decay. We're born into a state of corruption. It's by nothing that we did. It's nothing that you did that made it that way except being born. We were all just born into it. And we sin because we were born as sinners. We didn't, we didn't become sinners. We were born that way, and that's why we mess up all the time. And he says, we're in this constant state of decay, and here's your reality this morning. If you aren't in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you don't believe he's taken that away from you. You're still in a state of decay. You're still in a state of corruption. You're still in a state of corrosion, and sin will always eat away at you as long as you're in that state. But he says, when you're raised with Christ, remember baptism we talked about last week, baptism is this picture of being buried with Christ in his death under the water and raised to walk in new life above the water. If you've been raised with Christ, you're now imperishable. You're now uncorrupted. And not just that, you're in a state of decay's reversal. Does that give you a good picture the decay that you've been experiencing all your life in Christ Jesus has now been reversed. And now you're in a state of, of going away from that decay. And then he says the second thing, you're, it's sown in dishonor. Your natural existence, your natural body is sown in dishonor. And remember, your natural reality needs to gain death. You need a new perspective on death. You need to know that you need to die to yourself in order to live, in order for your spiritual body to live. And he's going through that right now. He says, you're going to sow and you're going to die in dishonor. It's sown in dishonor. It's dead in dishonor. And this is a really cool word in the Greek, dishonor. Now, you know, when you think of dishonor, you think of shame. Uh, you may think of public shame. Uh, but uh, what this, this word has this connotation of you've, your citizenship has been stripped. It's been stripped from you. When you think of uh, Roman citizenship back in that day, it was, that was huge. Like Paul uses this in the scripture sometimes. He says, you can't treat me like that. I'm a Roman citizen. And they back off right away. And so, this, so when you think of Roman citizenship, like, and you think of this word dishonor, think of that being stripped away from you, your, your citizenship. You're in exile. You're, you're, you're in dishonor. You're in shame. You don't have any rights anymore. You don't have any privileges anymore. You're away from your homeland. All these things. You're, you're cut off from your family. You're cut off from your friends. Your citizenship is gone. He says, that's what we have died in. But if you're raised with Christ, you're raised to glory. But if you're not in Christ, you're just in a constant state of shame and dishonor. And there's no way you can get out of it apart from Jesus Christ. We're going we're to talk about this later. And then the third thing he says is it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. Weakness, think of illness, sickness, frailty. You're decrepit. That's your state right now apart from Christ. You're frail, you're weak. He says, but in Christ you're raised in power. 
And you might be thinking, well, I consider myself, you might be thinking, I consider myself a follower of Jesus. I consider myself in Christ, but I still feel like I live in shame. I still feel like I live in weakness. I don't feel like I live in power. I don't feel like I live in glory. And you may still feel like sin is eating away at you. And all I can say to you this morning is, is this. You're not experiencing the life that Christ has come to give you. And I don't know if it's because you're straddling the fence. I don't know if it's, it's because, I, I don't know, I, I can't say, now let's not make this an issue of salvation. I'm not gonna say, well, you're not saved uh, or anything like that. I'm gonna say, that's not what Jesus wants to give you. That's not what he came to give you. And if you're following Jesus, you will be in power, in glory. Uh, you will be in a state of imperishability. Those things will be your reality. And he's, he's going to talk about it here. And when Paul is talking about the resurrection here, we often think, and he is talking about this too, that this is for the future. This is, okay, well, I can suffer through this life, which you will probably suffer through this life. I think that's the common human experience. We all suffer through this life. But you can say, oh, well, I can suffer through this life because I know that I won't have to suffer way down the road. And that's true. But what's also true is that you can have a new perspective on your suffering now. And that looks like glory because you're reflecting God's glory. And that's the key here, that you are unique and special, reflecting God's glory, not because and not for the world to think that you're great. It's because God is great. And we're just bouncing that off. But we can't do that apart from Jesus Christ. It has to be in Jesus Christ. And so in verse 45, he says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Remember, we're born into the natural. We're born into sin. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So I showed you earlier, I showed you guys some seeds, some life-giving seeds. Uh, lemon tree, sequoia, rosebush. Here's a seed. Uh, and what this seed produces is crabgrass. And um, it's not a very pretty seed like the other seeds and it produces a weed. It produces something that isn't, uh, well, weeds kind of get a bad rap, right? Weeds, weeds get a bad rap because they're ugly, because uh, people think they kill grass and they kill other plants, but actually weeds don't, that's not entirely true. Weeds don't go after grass. They're not attacking grass. They're not like, grass, I'm out to get you and strangle you. Weeds are actually just concerned about themselves. And what ends up happening is they kill grass indirectly because they soak up and consume all the nutrients that grass would need to flourish and survive. So really, 
Weeds aren't malicious. They're not out there trying to strangle grass. They're just worried about themselves and getting what they need to survive. Does that sound familiar? Some of us are weeds. Some of us, that's what, those are the seeds that we're planting. And you're, you may just be trying to get everything you need to survive, but as you're doing that, you're doing what a weed does. You're killing the grass. You're killing others around you. And weeds, when left unattended, they spread rapidly. And you can have a whole lawn full of weeds before you know it. And it's taken over the grass. Now here's the thing, it's still plant life. Your, your lawn now isn't grass, it's weeds, and it's still living. But that's all it's doing. It's living, but it's not life-giving. And that's the distinction Paul makes here. So this morning, are you, are you just living? If you're in Christ, you need to be life-giving. There's a difference between just living in natural reality and being life-giving in spiritual reality. When you look at these other plants I showed, they give life. A lemon tree gives life to things around it. You, in that picture, it had a whole lawn around it. The lemon tree is flourishing, but it's not sucking all the nutrients away from the grass. The grass is flourishing and the tree is flourishing and it's giving fruit and it's supplying food for the ecosystem, for us, for other animals, for other plants. Weeds, all they do because they're so selfish and they're concerned about themselves is they consume all the nutrients and they take everything they need and indirectly kill those around them. So what seeds are you planting this morning? What seeds are you sowing? Are you sowing seeds that are life-giving or seeds that breed death? And if you're sowing seeds that are, that are weeds, that multiply and kill around it, you'll eventually die yourself. Not of your own accord, but because someone will say, that's ugly, that's a disease, and I need to pull it out of my lawn. So when we think about seeds, think about you. What seeds are you sowing in your life, yourself? Are you sowing seeds? Think about, in, let's, let's just bring it down to this community. What seeds are you sowing in this church? Are you sowing seeds of uh, gr- uh, grumbling and complaining and seeds of pessimism and seeds of doubt? Or are you sowing seeds that are life-giving, seeds of joy and hope and peace and faith? Those are the things of the Spirit, right? When I see the fruit of the Spirit in the Scriptures, it doesn't say doubt, pessimism, hope, fear, and, and those. It says love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the fruit that we want to produce, but we have to plant those seeds in order to produce it. Instead, we're living over here and planting seeds of death, seeds that are, that are 
putting weeds in our community. Now, let's take that broader and say, what, what seeds are we planting as a church in our city? We have an awesome opportunity to plant seeds that are life-giving in St. Jamestown. And past couple weeks, we've been talking about the space that we're looking at in St. Jamestown, uh, where we want to get the space, transform the space into a space that gives back to that community, that provides asset-based ministry to that community, that, that takes what we are as a church, you know, you're in the arts domain, you're in media domain, you're in uh, medical, education, governance, um, business, economics, all the other ones, um, and you're in those domains, and how can we take you and your vocation, your domain, and use you, how can we as a church be planting seeds and sowing seeds that are life-giving in a community that is actually full of a bunch of weeds? A community that is just, that is underprivileged, trying to figure out as a bunch of newcomers how to, how to survive here in Canada. How can we give them life? And so we're looking at the space in order to do that, and we're slowly progressing towards uh, that vision and that dream to begin sowing some awesome seeds in our city to, to have some trees that bear fruit, okay? And, and so think about that in your life. What seeds do you sow in others? What seeds do you sow in your family? What seeds do you sow in your relationships? What seeds are you sowing in this church? What seeds do you sow in your workplace? What, what are you putting in other people? Remember, you reflect the glory of God. Are you reflecting the glory of God? Let's see what Paul says about how this even happens. He says here, going back up to verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. This is, he's quoting Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 7. The last Adam, Jesus, becomes a life-giving spirit. And now let's skip down to verse 47. He says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, verse 48, so also are those who are of the dust. That's us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That's you if you're in Christ Jesus. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul quotes from Genesis 2, and there in Genesis 2, God has, has created, um, he's created man and woman, and he says in Genesis 1 that he's created them in his image, male and female, in his image, he's created them. And then in Genesis 2, God breathes life into the first man. He breathes life into him. He breathes his spirit into him, is what that, what that word actually is in the Hebrew. That God breathes his spirit into him. And that's what gives Adam life, God's spirit. And then Genesis 3 happens. And sin and corruption and all these things that Paul said happen in Genesis 3. We're no longer uncorrupted, we're corrupted. We're no longer uh, imperishable, we become perishable. We're no longer in glory, we're in dishonor. And we're no longer in power, we're in weakness. 
Those things happen in Genesis 3. And, and then we see throughout the scriptures the spirit being breathed at different intervals. So Ezekiel 36, the prophet says that God is going to put his spirit in us. There's going to come a day when the spirit of God is going to reside in us. He's no longer going to be over there. He's going to start to redeem us. And in verse 37, or chapter 37 in Ezekiel, we see this valley of dry bones, and God breathes his spirit into these bones, and they come to life. It's this picture of, of what Paul is giving us, life-giving spirit. They come to life. And then Jesus in John 20, right before he leaves his disciples, he breathes on them. And he breathes the spirit of God on them. And now they can walk forward in power. It says in Acts 1.8 that they've been given power to walk forward and be his witnesses, to reflect his glory, right? And then in 2 Timothy 3.13, it even says that the scriptures, this book right here, this Bible, the scriptures are God-breathed. They're living and active, the writer of Hebrews says. They're breathed in uh, by God, and the Holy Spirit is, is all over this book here. And Paul says, for us, for those who aren't in Christ, our natural reality is that we're dusty. We're of the dust, he says. We're just collecting dust. We're dying, we're decaying, and we're dusty. And he says, but in Christ Jesus, your reality, your spiritual reality where you give life is heavenly. It's spiritual. It's beautiful. And that can be your reality this morning. If you're in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, that is your reality. Stop living in the dust. You're supposed to live in the heavenly, in the spiritual. And he says at the end here, just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the man of heaven. But how? How does that work? Well, Jesus says in, in John chapter 12, he says these words. It says, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it's sown, it remains alone. It always remain alone. And God says at the very beginning, it's not good that man should remain alone. He says, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. Like those are hard words that Jesus just gave and now he says, Ah, oh, that's hard. That's hard. Even Jesus admits that's hard, that you have to die in order to live. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? He says, no, for it's for this purpose that I've come to this hour. And what he says instead is, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. This is the Father speaking, and he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That's your spiritual reality. And now I know it looks like loss. I know that to the world, 
sacrifice as loss, dying as loss, but to us who live in a spiritual reality and know that that is our true reality, dying is gain, as Paul says in Philippians chapter one. Living, life-giving is Christ, he says. And when we realize that death has no hold on us, we can actually li be life-giving spirits. We can actually be living in Christ Jesus that abundant life and the fullness of it. And so that's what I want to invite you in this morning. Whether you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you think you are a follower of Jesus, that's the life he wants you to live this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've given us life that is abundant. And I'm sorry that we continue to choose a life that isn't abundant. I'm sorry we continue to say, I think I know what's best and not trust that you know what's best. And I'm sorry for our failures, for our weaknesses, for sowing so many seeds of weeds that just kill and destroy. And in the end, we remain alone. I just want to say for us, for our church, that we don't want to be that. We want to be a church in our city that gives life, that is not a parasite on our city, but actually gives fruit to our city, that our city can feed off of, not because we know what's best, because often we don't, not because we're better than anybody, because we're not, but because we know that we're nothing before you. We know that it's only you, Jesus, who's made us anything. We know that it's only by your sacrifice that when we were living in dishonor, you made us honorable. When we were living in weakness, you made us powerful. And that power comes not from lording it over anybody or anything. It simply comes from dying. It simply comes from us saying, God, here we are. We give you everything. We die to you. Use us as you see fit. So I say that for our church this morning and trust that you will do so. In your name, Jesus, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.